Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. In a typical Stanley Cup championship season, you are shuffling out onto the ice in whatever fashionable footwear you're wearing, and you are talking to the players as they celebrate with their families and hoot and holler and try to get out of there as quickly as possible to go back to the locker room and spray each other with champagne. Contrast that with what you saw in Edmonton, in the bubble, when the Tampa Bay Lightning won the Cup in Game 6 over Dallas. Greg, how could we compare apples and oranges? Uh, look, I, I think it was super special when Tampa Bay clinched it and you see all the guys, you know, flail their equipment into the air and all, you know, gather behind the net. And that was really cool. Um, but typically, like you said, we're on the ice and we get to see these moments, right? Like I remember last year, Pat Maroon picking up his son, Anthony, and it was this big storyline going into the year. This was the first year they were lived together in St. Louis and the emotion that they had. And Layla came on the ice and watching her interact with Colton Pareko and the other guys and, you know, all around you, like incredible stories and emotions are happening. And this time I'm sitting, you know, up in the 300 level section, you know, on Zoom on my phone. I, I <laughs> forgot my binoculars in the U.S. And I'm like... <laughs> Look, there's every player getting out his iPhone and FaceTiming somebody. So it was just a little bit different of an experience. Socially distanced Stanley Cup, indeed. Uh, I will say this, as, as everybody knows, I do have my certain uh, predilections when it comes to the traditions and hockey and what I like and don't like. But, Emily, you just hit on something. You don't like I, the handshake line. I hate the handshake line, as everybody knows. But here's the thing. One of the things I do love, and you hit on it, and I, I feel like it's an underrated aspect of a cup championship is that moment where everybody just hurls their equipment into the air and gloves mm -hmm. are flying and, and, and it's just like a, a, a yard sale on the ice afterwards. Like that moment where the clock hits It looks zero. like Patrick Hornquist's driveway. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's a deep cut. <laughs> we should talk about that later too. Uh, I just love that. It's one of my favorite things in hockey. And then everybody just mobs the goalie and, and it just becomes just a chaotic, beautiful celebration. And then, of course, on the other side of the ice, the crippling uh, depression of having lost in a championship game, which we'll talk about with the Dallas Stars in a bit. All right, coming up on this edition of ESPN and Ice, it's just me and Emily. Just the two, your two buddies talking about this cup final and what comes next. Uh, all the departments will be in place, but uh, we felt like it'd be good to just kind of pop the bubble, as it were, uh, together uh, and, uh, and just chat with you. So there you go. That's what it is on this edition of ESPN and Ice. Let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. It's ESPN on ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey, although sometimes SVP talks about hockey, which we'll talk about in a bit. I'm Greg Wachinski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter. That's right. SVP with our boy John Cooper after the Stanley Cup victory by the Lightning last night. It was a really good good interview, good time, good energy. Enjoyed it. The best thing about it is he's wearing this gosh darn UVA basketball hat. And Scott Van Pelt has the audacity to ask about it, obviously. And John Cooper tells the story of him buying that hat shortly after they get swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets because he needed something to hold on to. Um, and he could hold on to the story of them losing as the 16 seed then going on and winning the championship next year. And he told a great story, too, of like Nikita Kucherov afterwards being like, Coach, where's your hat? And he's like, I've had it here the whole time. Because Kucherov obviously is a big March Madness fan. 
Yeah, and also Kucherov was one of the reasons they got curb stomped by the Blue Jackets because he's the MVP and he got suspended for a game. But that's not correct. And there, while we're on the Kucherov topic, it took two months, but we finally got an incredibly likable and personable Kucherov on a Zoom call. The most amazing thing about Zoom is that it takes long time. And the little inside secret is that the Tampa Bay Lightning specifically take a long time to get to their Zoom call, specifically, specifically John Cooper. But in the celebration of a Stanley Cup, they're coming out like now 40 minutes after the game. And think about it. They're sweating. They are hungry. They have nothing in their body from playing this game. And they've just been chugging champagne and beer. (laughs) They were wasted. (laughs) Especially Nikita Kucherov when he came out and like poor Alex Killorn is sitting between him and Vasilevsky and just like trying to be the adult in the room and translating questions into adult speak. Um, But Kucherov's out there. I think he was trying to do an American Valley Girl accent at some point. Like that's how he talks (laughs) to the guys behind the scenes and they all like fake Russian accents to him. It was incredible. Um, And they just ended it whenever they could as soon as possible. That's hilarious. And then Cooper bought out all the coaches, too, which was a really nice moment um, on the, uh, the dais as well. Uh, you, you, Queen of Transitions, you uh, you mentioned the Blue Jackets. I mean, impossible not to talk about this Lightning Stanley Cup within context. I wrote about it uh, last night in a piece about the lessons they learned for the last five years. Go back to 2015. They lose in the final of the Blackhawks. This was the first kind of taste of this for this group, uh, including Coop's Troops the uh, famous triplets line that the players that he coached with the Syracuse crunch back in the AHL next season, they lose in a game seven and also a game six to the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins in the conference final Penguins going to win the cup, miss the playoffs because Stamkos gets hurt. Probably talk about that later too. Uh, Next season conference final. Again, they lose game six. They lose game seven to the Washington Capitals fail to score a goal in either of those games. And then, of course, last season, everybody remembers what happens last season where they get swept in the first round by the Blue Jackets. So I really think you look at this cup, Emily, and you say to yourself, what did they learn in the last five years? And two of the lessons that they learned, I think, really helped them in in accomplishing this, which is to be efficient. And yeah, they had a five overtime game against the Blue Jackets, but that's a five game series. They beat the Bruins in five games. Um, they kept it short, and that's something that the teams that went on to win the cup that they played did pretty well. And the other thing is, don't don't go to Game Seven. Don't belabor the point. Don't don't allow those emotions and that anxiety to creep into your game, even without the fans there, even without the media in your face at all times. It's still going to be there. Take care of business when you have a chance to take care of business. So bye bye Islanders, Game Six. Bye bye Dallas Stars, Game Six. Don't belabor the point. Get it done. And if you want to talk about getting it done, man, the assassin-like efficiency in the Lightning's defensive game last night against the Dallas Stars, we've seen it a couple times this postseason with them, but damn, they were good for two periods last night against Dallas. Yeah. The, something about Tampa, it really felt like the team of destiny this year. When you watched them play, it was just a total team game. Like, there was just no weak links. They were rolling guys out. Um There's a lot to be taken from their victory. I think there's a lot of teams around the league being like, I want what Tampa has, but damn, that's (laughs) going to be hard and long to get it. Like they had to, as you said, suffer for this and build this slowly. Um, And from what happened to them last year, I think what was most fascinating to me is just seeing how raw they were about their scars and they owned it. Um, the fact that, like I said, John Cooper wore that hat, brought it to the bubble. Like you went through the year where it was like, 
every once in a while, because every city they went to, they were asked about what happened last year, so they had to answer it. And every once in a while, they'd be like, no, we never talk about it at all. It's a new team. <laughs> and then every once in a while, you get like a Kevin Shattenkirk being like, they're obsessed with it. Like, that's all they can talk about. And it's very clear that the answer is probably more of the latter. Um, so for them to come together as a team um, and overcome this is incredible. And holy cow, are we going to be talking about these three minutes of Steven Stamkos for the rest of our life? Because... <laughs> I think I said this last podcast, like, take away the pandemic, take away the bubble. This is an incredible sports story. Your captain, who has grinded it through for all of those years, misses all of this time, comes back, two minutes, 47 seconds, one shot, one goal, we never see of him again. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And then I thought it was also a really nice touch last night when they went out to get the cup. Um, you know, normally the tradition is, is that Gary Bettman hands it to the captain and then the captain did, does the thing and they <laughs> all took a class photo basically with the Stanley cup last night and, and, uh, and Bettman. And I thought that was appropriate, not only in the sense that like Stamkos only played three minutes in the, in the playoffs, but also in the sense that it, it really was sort of that incredible team effort. It'd be interesting to see if maybe this is a new tradition that starts where it's the team that kind of accepts the cup rather than it just being the captain. Um, speaking of tradition, Got to admit, I'm a little bummed that uh, what we've talked about for months didn't happen last night. No booing of Gary Bettman. What the heck? On the, the broadcast. I don't know what that's about. I mean, maybe maybe they just got cold feet at the end of the day. But they talked a pretty good game in the months leading up to this that they were going to you know, do it and that Gary was cool with it. But uh, I was listening really hard, and I didn't hear any boos, really, um, which was a bummer. Um, so I was at the arena, and I was waiting for the boos, and... The only other in-arena thing that I can share that was, like, weird is you see the cup being handed out and everyone celebrating in the ice, and then you see Bill Daly, like, sitting alone in, like, the first <laughs> or second row with his cell phone out, just, like, zooming in and taking a photo. Like, <laughs> deputy commissioners, just like the rest of us. Um, yeah, it was, it was good, man. It was a good celebration. Uh, Pat Maroon getting it on in the locker room with his big old beard and cigars, two cups back to back and again like i i i know that i've beaten this horse into a, a paste by now but how the hell is julian briswell not gm of the year i'm sorry I, I it defies logic that this guy goes out and gets pat maroon kevin shattenkirk blake coleman barkley goodrow in the in the last throws of this series in the last three games of the series like what do you see you see Shattenkirk score a, an overtime game winner on a screen by Maroon. Last night you saw Maroon steal the puck, leading to Blake Coleman's goal, which was to me the definitive goal of the game because it gave him a two-goal lead. With the way they were playing, they weren't going to give it up. That dude, like you said, it's going to be very hard for anybody to replicate what the Lightning did. And I think one of the reasons is is that no one has the cojones to trade two first-round picks at the deadline for depth players which is what he did I yeah i have to say in ever since chris Brissy told me that barclay Gaudreau was a player that was impressing him and so i kept a closer eye and he was the player i couldn't keep my eyes off of um last game like he was all over the place yeah. he takes face-offs he's been incredible like coleman's been getting a little bit more love out of the pair of them but like Gaudreau has been just as good and they get them both next year 
Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I think the GM of the year honestly should be awarded in the playoffs. I, I do. I, I think yeah. um, we should take into account those type of things. And I think Julian Brisbois is honestly the guy. And oh God, it's they're just such a good team. I couldn't get over the first <laughs> lines production. Like seriously, yep. there's a point during the series where I was just watching them and mesmerized by them. Like they were the first team that got pucks deep and made it interesting for me. Get pucks deep. But they did, but it was, like, fun and magnetic, and I knew that they would collect them. They were a real fun team, and it's it's funny you should say that because, like, I feel, you know, we've seen our share of anti-hockey in this bubble uh, from certain teams. The Stars were guilty of some of it. Not necessarily. Not Dallas all the time. I mean, in watching their their first two series, I mean, that was kind of firewagging a little bit, and then, you know, they kind of got a little bit more conservative as as the playoffs went on. The Islanders being the biggest, uh, uh, you know, um, perpetrator of that. Peter Hockey. The Blue Jackets did their share too. So it was good to see a team that can play a, a strong defensive game, as we saw in Game Six, but also is just hella fun to watch. Um, before we get to the celebration, uh, let's talk about the Stars real quick. I saw some really sad people last night uh jamie ben's press conference if you've not broken. seen it yet is he's just like he he, he was asked he broke. Three questions on the second question he didn't answer it he just kind of sat there and on the first question he stopped answering it and then looked over at the pr staff and and they moved on to the next question on the second question he didn't even acknowledge that there wasn't going to be an answer and they just went to the next thing and on the third question he answered it for two sentences and then he stopped and then, and then it was done. I, I mean, I have never seen anyone that distraught over a loss. Um, but you know, Klingberg talked about the Band of Brothers thing and and how how much this hurts. And Sagan talked about how beat up they were and and literally having to stand in line um, to get into the trainer's room to get treatment because so many guys were hurt. Um, and you know, Kudobin, I thought pretty much summed it up for them last night when he just said. I'm just like I don't feel anything. Like I'm kind of numb to the whole thing because of just how how stunning it is to lose, and then how stunning it is to lose having sacrificed so much for the the last two plus months to to do this, and then to kind of come up short. I really feel like in the case of a lot of these guys, and I'm sure there's guys in the stars that that feel like it was worth it because of just how close they came and what a ride it was. But I really feel like a lot of these guys kind of probably rationalized the bubble by saying. You know what? Not seeing your friends and family, your dog, your kids, what have you, for two and a half months will be worth it if we win. And then mm-hmm. you don't. And that's got to be real hard to process if you're the Dallas Stars last night. The thing about the Stars, I still can't get over how effective Corey Perry and Joe Pavelski were right? in the series. <laughs> like, that's the one thing that's the most surreal to me about this entire series from a hockey perspective. We know that Joe Pavelski still has, like, the best instincts and is the best tipper of pucks. But holy cow, it were both of them. Like, they wouldn't have made it this far. They wouldn't have had a fighting chance against this team if not for those two guys. Um, I look at this team as one that if they didn't make it to this round, even if they had lost in the Western Conference Finals, I wonder, would Jim Nill have been back? Would this core have been back? Could they have tried to shake it up? Because they've been trying to do the same damn thing for a couple years in a row now, and it hasn't worked. And, like, on one end, it's amazing. You're like, 
all that we've grinded through with this core, as many coaches as we cycle through, as many styles as we've asked uh, Tyler Sagan and Jamie Ben to play, like we can make it work. And then it was sad being like, well, they've made it all the way this far and like, are they going to be able to do it again? Um, there's yeah. a plenty of exciting things about this team. Mira Heiskanen, who, you know, I, I think just ran out of steam by the Stanley Cup final, but obviously had an incredible postseason. Um, you know, you've got the hints, the Giryanovs of the world, you know, the guys that are going to grow up with. But it's just a fascinating team. I think it all came together for them in this tournament and their time to win was now. And like out of any runner up in recent history, I can't just say I feel very confident about them next year. I don't. It's it's interesting. So their offseason looks like this. First off, they got some free agent um, business to do. Uh, Radic Faxa, Rupe Hintz, who they missed dearly mm-hmm. uh, in the last part of that series. Killing those uh, penalties that they couldn't stop taking. Dude, one game. One game. They finally figured it out where they're like, let's just take a penalty and stay out of the box. And what do they do? They take two of them in the first period, give the Lightning two whacks to Pinata, and of course the Lightning score on one of them to kind of change the trajectory of game six. So they're their own worst enemy in, at times in the series. So they got those two guys to sign, along with Denis Giryanov, who really had an outstanding playoff. Um, he's going to is up next summer. So they got one more year of him on his ELC. But here are your That's two... A deal. Here are your two big mystery free agents one of them is Anton Kudobin who obviously you expect he'd like to come back you know the camaraderie with the boys the whole thing but there's going to be a few people out there they're going to like I would like to be in the Anton Kudobin business now this isn't just like a flash in the pan playoff run guy this guy's got the stats to back it up for the last few seasons as far as being one of the best 1A goaltenders in this league and considering next season whenever it starts is going to be a mad dash of back-to-back games and compressed schedules, you're going to need two goalies. If you're somebody who's mm-hmm. like, hey, I'd like to win a cup. If you're Colorado, and you're like, hey, you know what I'd like to do next year? Win a cup. Who could I get for that? Oh, I know. That dude that nearly carried Dallas to a Stanley Cup. Like, there's going to be action around Kudobin. But the other free agent, as you know, this is the real mystery, is Rick Bonus. And hmm. the mystery is this. You know, when you're in the bubble, and people are like, so, Jim Nill, what do you what do you think about Rick Bonus? When what's going to happen with him? And Jim Nill's like, oh, you know, I uh, I think if uh, you know, obviously Rick's earned a job, and if Rick wants to come back, he can come back. <laughs> and then you ask Rick Bonus, and you're like, Rick Bonus, what do you want to do? And then for weeks, he's like, I I'll, I'll talk about it after it's done. I don't want to talk about it right now. Blah, blah, blah. And then like after they lose Game Six, you're like, Rick Bonus, what's going to happen? Well, if there's one thing I learned in this bubble, it's that I still have a passion for this thing, and I'd like to keep on doing it. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, that's cool. What does that contract look like? 65 years old, interim coach, a certain amount of lightning in the bottle, a certain amount of owing a debt to the system that the previous coach put in. You can't deny that. Jim Montgomery had this team playing a certain way. Now, bonus augmented it in the pause, no doubt about that, did some really smart things, got the defense more involved, they became a better offensive team. He deserves credit for that. But it's not like he reinvented the wheel. What do you, how do you approach the situation if you're Dallas with a with the caveat that maybe you're going to compensate a guy for something that he can't necessarily replicate again. I I think the issue here is the issue every team faces where we're like, "Oh, just make it work." And it's not a typical time. <laughs> and the words we're going to keep hearing again and again are internal salary cap. Mm-hmm. We know the cap is flat at 8E1.5. That's what you spend on players. 
some team salary cap is lower than that internally, and it also is lower internally for business ops and coaching and hockey ops and all the other folks that make the team run. And I do wonder about a team like the Dallas Stars, where their owner is in the hospitality and hotel business, um, if we're going to get into another situation like Barry Trotz, where Rick Bonus knows what he's worth. I just took a team to the Stanley Cup final. I deserve a contract. And are they not willing to stomach it? I don't know those answers. Um, yeah. If I'm the stars, you got to keep the guy that brought you to the Stanley Cup final. You try to keep him for a two-year deal if that's what's palatable to you because of his age, experience, whatever it might be. You pay him what you need to pay him. Um, you try to give this, these guys some consistency because as I alluded to for, uh, earlier, it's just unfair of how many coaches this course had to have. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. All right, before we move on to some of your questions, I want to ask our uh, reporter on site, the person inside the bubble, what she saw last night. What is So once the cameras are off, once Doc Emmerich has, has spoken his last bit of poetry, and by the way, my favorite two moments from Doc Emmerich last night on NBC during the broadcast, without question, first was the time when he was talking about how good Kucherov and Point are and relate it to how good Wayne Gretzky is and in the sense that everything is inherent and like they just are good players. And I think mm -hmm. Emmerich's, Emmerich's line was, I wonder what it's like when you're good at all of that, you know, or something along those lines. Just a very folksy sort of like common man looking at a superhero type deal. And then the other one was Eddie Olchek was talking about the Preakness. And I think somehow the question came up of whether or not he was running in the Preakness. And at one point, Doc said, are you going to paint your hooves? Because apparently oh in show horse competitions, you paint your hooves is a thing that happens like in, in dressage. TIL. I had no idea. Um, well, to answer your question of what happened, what happened in the great city of Edmonton last night? Um, look, they do the whole celebration. They're on the ice. It takes them forever to take the Zoom calls, as I mentioned, because, <laughs> you know, they're celebrating and FaceTiming and drinking. Mm -hmm. um, and then they don't know where to go. Um, the team stayed in the locker room. I'm pretty sure it was like 1230 or 1. They were still at the arena. And I was told that the guys just like didn't really want to go back to the hotel because they knew the stars were there and it was like kind of awkward just to gloat and celebrate in the same um, vicinity as the people you just crushed. At the same time, they were given very explicit instructions. You are staying in the bubble tonight. Your plane leaves at 9 a.m. Like you could get on that plane and do whatever, but like you are still in the bubble tonight. Um, so I do think they eventually brought the cup back to the bubble. I saw them hoisting it over the prison yard, which just felt so poetic and beautiful. Um, it was just something <laughs> so 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs about that. Um, and yeah, as we're recording this, they are on their way back to Florida, where as we saw images, uh, social distancing may not be practiced no, uh, going forward. <laughs> not at all. By the way, in, just to pull back the curtain a little bit, Pretty much nothing the NHL hated more than the prison yard nickname getting out from the bubble and, and that becoming mm -hmm. like a common thing courtesy of our story. Not not a fan. But like listen, the player said it. It's not our Don't problem. As I I talked to somebody in town, I think it was a bartender, and she's just like, Why didn't they just put plants there? Yeah. Spruce it up. Go to if go they to put Ikea. a couple plants there, you wouldn't to, call it the prison yard. Yeah. That's all you need. Maybe there's some lawn furniture. Just, just spruce it up a little bit. That's all we're saying. Mm -hmm. 
Um, anything else to say about the uh, the night that was, the celebration, the lightning, the whole thing? Who are you happiest for on the lightning right now besides Coop? Just any of those guys that had been there forever. Honestly, I'm happy for Zach Bogosian. And, like, that was a cool yeah. storyline. Luke like, Shen, he was the guy's kind of guy. Exactly. The picture, and they actually texted it. It's funny. Luke, this is, like, behind the scenes. But Luke Shen texted this photo to Chris Johnston. was like, put this on Twitter. <laughs> um, and Stammer wants you to put it up. But it was him, Stamkos, and Bogosian. And they're the one, three, five picks in that draft. And, you know, obviously Stammer's career is on, like, a little bit of a different trajectory than, you yeah. know, Shen and Bogosian, who are, you know, almost both out of the league. And just to see them and that moment, that was a cool thing. Um, anyway, I'm just happy for them in general. And the last thing I'd say about Edmonton is they put on a damn good event. You know, we joked about the fly fishing in the prison yard, but the folks here um, were so hospitable. Anywhere I went, everyone just wanted to know how I liked Edmonton. <laughs> how, how are we treating you? I'm like, you guys are great. Um, and Rogers Center, like, honestly, like, I felt safe the entire time. I felt like they were following protocols. Just the adherence even of the players not to go to an empty bar last night and take the cup, even though it was tempting. Like, right. kudos to everyone. I gotta it was say, for, That's awesome. I got I to gotta say, for me, it's Hedman. Um, awesome playoff. Mm. Uh, and and he, here's, a, here's a thing that kind of blows your mind when you think about it. Like, we think of the Lightning as this team of John Cooper, of uh, Iserman, and then Julian Brisebois, of Jeff Vinnick owning the team. By the way, deal New Jersey's own, Jeff Vinnick. Um, um, I did know I, that. Yeah, exciting. Uh, it started with one of the like most awkward and, and bad ownership groups of all time with Oren Coolis and Len Barry. And when Barry, our good friend Barry Melrose was the coach and, uh, and uh, Brian Lawton was the GM, they drafted Stamkos 1, which is not a shock. It was the obvious choice. And then they dra- and then they drafted Hedman. Yeah, you could have had Bogosian or Shen. Yeah, I mean, it was, <laughs> and then they drafted Hedman <clears throat> again at the time, probably a pretty obvious choice to a lot, but not not a, a slam dunk necessarily. And those two guys crossed over from that one ownership group all the way through to last night. And for Hedman, man, like you look around this league and see how many of that guy's peers have won cups. Uh, how many great defensemen have won cups. And I know that we talk about like how winning a championship shouldn't necessarily define a player, but we're kidding ourselves if we don't admit that winning a championship doesn't bolster a player's legacy. Like if Ovi didn't win and he's at the Hall of Fame, we're still talking about how he didn't win. If Hedman mm-hmm. didn't win and he's at the Hall of Fame, which he will be, we're going to be talking about the times they didn't win. So to finally win, it just muzzles that entire conversation. And, and for a guy that's as good as Hedman, who's going to go down as, you know, potentially the best defenseman of his generation, it's hard to say he's not going to be. And, uh, and you have people right now saying, is this guy even like the best player in hockey? Um, it's just great to see. I, I always like that guy, I, I, you know, to, not to get all journalistically whatever, but, like, he's been on this podcast a, t- a bunch of times, and, like, we've talked to him a bunch of times. Just always a really nice dude to talk to. And, uh, and, and that goes back to when he was a rookie, uh, and he was talking to me about, like, learning to fly planes. So I was very, very happy to see that guy win. Uh, it, you know, like we talked about before, like, you don't want to always just be rooting for people. But in Hedman's case, I, I kind of was happy to see that guy hoist the cup. All right, let's get to some reader mail. Because the first question definitely applies to what we were just talking about. Emo toaster, which I guess is a toaster that frets about 
how dark the to- the bread gets. I was about to say how dark the toast gets, but it's bread before it's toast, Emily. We all know this. Would love some insight on how you both thought the Con Smythe voting went. Seems like Vassy was an unsung hero. What are the chances the Lightning can repeat? Yada, yada, yada. But let's focus on the Con Smythe. You had a vote. Um, who'd you have on top of your ballot? Ed Braden Point. I struggled, man. I, I honestly think, to his point, there was four legitimate candidates this year. You could have gotten Point. You could have gone Hedman. You could have gone Kucherov. And you could have gone Vasilevsky and made a case mm-hmm. for any four of them. I think in my mind, I did leave Vasilevsky off. He was my fourth just because sometimes you just default to the goaltender and that's his job. It is still remarkable in this tournament where goaltending depth was more important than ever that this man played every single game to a Stanley <laughs> Cup win. Like, I, it's an, I, I feel terrible leaving him off, but I'm like, Kucherov and Point, what they did offensively was just insane. Um, they, they took over games. They took over series. They were so dominant. And then Hedman was just putting up not only the 10 goals, which were the most since or most ever besides Leach and Coffee amongst the defensemen in a playoff run, but just putting a monster minutes and being the guy on defense. Um, I, I could have put him one. I put him three. You know, I, it's, it was just a really hard toss up. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, we talked, uh, we slacked the other day about the Conn Smythe and I was team Hedman big time. In fact, one might say I picked Victor Hedman to win the concept <laughs> before the playoffs started. Uh, but one could say that. I got to tell you, like, the way that Point played in, game, in their game four win. Four, yeah. S- tying the game almost on his own. And then scoring the first goal in game six, which obviously was going to be, like, the tone setter for either team. It was such a critical goal. Uh, and and also to score it on the power play where like Dallas clearly felt like they they clawed back a little bit you know in game five was so critical. I I think if I had a vote I would have point I would have put point over last night as my Con Smythe guy. I think I think in this series to go along with all the other heroics throughout the playoffs, but in this series in particular, I felt like he had the bigger impact than Hedman did. I I think you could have made the case that he probably should have won. I don't like I said to you the other day like I don't think it's going to be uh, Crosby Kessel. We were talking about mm-hmm. Hedman stealing Braden Point's Con Smythe or whatever. But I do think it's going to be one of those things where you can look back and say, eh, maybe it should have gone to the other guy. Maybe this was a Hedman for two and a half rounds, Point for two and a half rounds, and maybe Point did it in the, at the most important point of the playoffs and should have gotten put over kind of situation. But like you said, mm-hmm. four good choices. Um, Johan Eriksson. This is here we go, uh, keeping on the lightning thing. Do you think teams will be more willing to give up their first-round picks for depth players at the deadline, seeing how much Tampa benefited from it? What do you think? What do you say? I I think it really depends on where the picks are. I mean, I'm honest, like it, if you're the lightning and you are, you know, going to pick 30th or whatever, or, you know, it's it behooves you to maybe get aggressive and do that. But I also think it's a situation of... of Look, there's always going to be teams that try to do this and get burned, and then they get ridiculed for years because that pick ends up being mm-hmm. a guy who plays 500 games. And then there are going to be teams that get praised for it. And I think in the case of Julian Brisebois, to have the confidence to do it, but also to have the complete understanding of your roster that to know exactly what you need. You look at what happened last year and you say to yourself, okay, if I'm in that situation again, I don't have Blake Coleman to score a goal in a critical spot. I don't have Barkley Goudreau 
on the same line to create you know the best checking line in the playoffs like to have that sort of vision i think is isn't something that every gm has you know there's a reason why julian breezeball was headhunted by hundreds of hundreds hundreds of teams in the league idiot dozens dozens of teams uh about coming becoming their gm i mean montreal was was craving for this guy for years because he's really good and he learned at the hand of another really good gm and steve eiserman who learned at another at the hand of another really good gm and ken holland and like i i just i think it's hard to replicate like you said earlier it's hard to replicate what tampa bay did because of the situation that they were in and because gms just aren't as good as julian breezewell they just aren't like it's he's got a real knack for this i don't know if you noticed they just won the cup last night he has a knack for it, and I think my big takeaway is it's not just getting the best available guy, it's getting the right available guy. And like when we were talking about um, who was available at last year's trade deadline, who was talking, maybe people talking about Blake Coleman, but who was talking about Barclay Gaudreau as the missing piece to your championship team? Um, mm-hmm. But he saw that because he knew his team, and that is great. And also, they just draft damn well. Like, yeah. they're, they're just a good drafting team. Indeed. Uh, all right. Tony Schmidt wants to know how many trades will we see in this short window and where do guys like Dumba, Domi, and possibly Line end up? I think we're going to see a lot of trades. Um, clearly, like Emily pointed out before, there's internal budgets that are happening. They're going to necessitate these trades. Um, Bill Guerin seems, as much as he says he doesn't want to, seems very desirous to flip Matt Dumba for a center. I think that's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. I got to I gotta tell you. But can he you, get a center for Matt Dumba in this economy? In this economy? I don't know. In this economy? Depends on who's available. But I got to say this. Maybe it's just because I cannot believe that they would deal away somebody who scores that many goals, um, Mm -hmm. even if they have other needs. Mm -hmm. I just don't believe the Patrick Laine trade stuff. I just don't. I just cannot fathom the idea that, especially if it's like one of these deals like that's being put out there of like, well, we should trade Patrick Laine for a center. Okay, who's he passing to? He's just traded the guy that he's going to be passing mm-hmm. to. That's the whole point of getting him is to play him on your second line with Patrick Laine. That's why you get a center. I don't know. I, do you believe in the Laine stuff? I do. I think where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, I think he's a guy that so many teams would love to have and maybe just needs a change of scenery because it's always just kind of been a thing in Winnipeg where it's just whatever reason, there's just always a thing about him. I think he goes to the Metro Division um, and just totally restarts his career. Interesting. All right. Finally, Aaron Halverson writes in, obviously, mm. we need foolishly early 2021 cup predictions from you guys. All right. I'll go ahead and make one. Because honestly, were it not for injuries, there's a very good chance. I, it's a Colorado. Yeah, it's Colorado. <laughs> Damn, that was mine. Okay, let me think of a better one. You can take Colorado too. We got the same pick. Look, like a hundred of us picked Tampa to win the cup. Who cares? You can take Colorado. If that's the answer. It's a good answer. It's a good answer. I mean, Vegas is going to always of... be in the conversation too, but I think they got to mm-hmm. get through Colorado to get there. And Colorado's going to be so good next year. Part of me is like, M, don't sleep on the Flyers. And don't sleep mm. on the Islanders. No. Those are my two Eastern like mm, good merge. I'll put I'll put I'll put the uh, the the caveat of the law of diminishing Elaine Vigneault returns on the Flyers. Mm. I will say this: they were a team that was playing some anti hockey in this tournament. Mm-hmm. 
They, they had some anti-hockey moments. Yep. All right. Let's get to some winners and losers of the bubble. This is a story that's going to go up soon on ESPN.com. You can check out our full list of them. But just a taste right now. I figure two winners, one loser. Let's not be all as negative as we usually are being from Jersey. Uh, give me one winner of the bubble, Emily. Safety. Oh. As you saw in our story, if the goal of this thing was to award the Stanley Cup and get everybody home COVID-free, they did it. Uh, guys said they felt a little too secure. There was clear apps and security everywhere. They had the daily nasal swabs. They obviously kept the, the headcount in the bubble as small as possible. But um, if anyone had a concern about health and safety entering the bubble, as one player told us in a player confidential, like that went away quickly. Safety yeah. was a winner. My first winner, Steve Mayer. Uh, he's been on the mm. show before. You know the dude. He's the dude who used to put together the Winter Classic and what that looked like. Uh, his responsibilities in this bubble stuff are legion. I mean, not only what it looked like on television, not only what it looked like and sounded like inside the arena, but also the restaurants and the hotels and all of the other accoutrement that you saw. If a player was enjoying himself in the bubble, it was probably because of something that Steve Mayer put in there for the player to enjoy. Um, and a, a tremendous undertaking and a really talented guy who has always done really work, good work for the league. Uh, but he, he and his team deserve an enormous amount of credit for making this thing not only work efficiently, but also work as aesthetically pleasing as, as it did. I mean, you know, you watch, I've said it before, you watch these games on television and you compare it to what you see in the NFL, especially compared to the NBA, which I just don't understand why people put that thing over as being a good product when it just looks as, janky and american gladiators sit as it does baseball all these other sports us it does look like american sports. gladiator <laughs> steve mayer did an incredible job making hockey look the best and uh and i think it, I, I give i gave him all the credit in the world so he's he's one of my winners who's your other winner the backup goalie Hey, we all right. Enter this tournament with like half of the teams being like, who's going to start in net? And by the second round, there were six guys who were not the number one during the regular season being the de facto number one in this tournament. I think it has changed the landscape of the way teams are constructed. I think every team now, you saw it with what Montreal did to go get Jake Allen, knows they need two guys, especially this year with a condensed schedule coming up, probably lots of back-to-backs and a regionalized schedule or who knows what's going to come. So um, these backup goalies, led by probably the face of the movement in 2020, Anton Kadobin, um, had themselves a <laughs> tournament. Yeah. Uh, my other winner are the fans. Um, I think absence makes the heart grow fonder. I, I, I mm. You know, sometimes what the fans bring to the table in the playoffs is sort of just literal background noise. Uh, but I really felt the loss of not having a full crowd watching these games mm -hmm. and bringing that specific energy to the playoffs and having those moments of spontaneity where in the third period, all of a sudden you hear the crowd rise up and be like, we're going to will our team to do something. Uh, that was really missing. The players talked about it. The coaches talked about it. Um, the dynamic of not having a crowd there certainly changed the complexion of the playoffs. In some cases, for the better, if you're the Lightning, I really believe, and I, I pointed this out in my story, that playing in a vacuum was the best thing that could happen to that team based on the anxiety they felt in previous playoff runs. But not having the, the fans involved and not having you know, tailgate parties and watch parties and the whole thing, uh, I mean, it just was such a bummer. I mean, we all know why it had to happen, but it was still such a bummer. Give me your one one of your losers, not the loser, but one of your losers for the uh, the bubble. Fun and amenities. 
Um, the fly fishing, the outdoor shopping malls, the golf excursions, all of the comforts of bubble life that were promised to players and ripped out in front of their eyes once they arrived. <laughs> so that was a loser. Damn. Uh, loser for me, I hate to say it, and it's weird to say it because Tampa just won the cup, but non-traditional markets. Uh, mm. The Winter Classic did not draw. The Stanley Cup Final, much to my chagrin, did not draw. Now, it's not necessarily the team's fault. It's our fault because we are the ones who are constantly complaining about the same eight teams being shown over and over again. The original six, plus Philly, plus Pittsburgh, plus Washington. Maybe you throw Vegas in there now, too, occasionally. But we're always complaining about getting force-fed the same franchises, whether it's the regular season or the playoffs or whatever. And then the minute we get Tampa versus Dallas, a very competitive and very compelling Stanley Cup final. Now, granted, there's a lot going on. Not only, you know, other sports, but also like, hey, honey, let's go to a restaurant for the first time since March on a Saturday night. Like, there's a lot else going on. Mm -hmm. I completely understand that. But hockey fans didn't watch the final. And and at the end of the day, maybe the NHL looks at that and says this is a special situation and we don't want to take too much from it. Or they look at this and they look at the Winter Classic and they look at the, all the other ratings from series that don't involve the same eight teams and they say to themselves, all right, maybe we shouldn't show Dallas as much or show Tampa as much. And that sucks. So that, that was yeah. a, a bit of a bummer for me. A bit of a, of a bummer for the hockey media every week is this segment of the show, which I believe is our favorite. Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. It's Phil Kessel loves hot dogs, the segment each week where we point out the mistakes and foibles and hyperbole of the media. My original choice for this was that New York Times column on the uh, violence in hockey. Mm, fighting. Now, but then you saw good... Damien Cox this morning. Yeah, I did. Don't get ahead of yourself. I was going to say <laughs> sorry, about the sorry, time. sorry, 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 sorry. I was going to say about the Times thing. By the way, seventeen sorries because you're in Canada. The Times thing was like had some good points in the sense that like the NHL should not necessarily put out videos that glamorize the physical sacrifice of players um, at a time when TSN is running lengthy news documentaries about the abuse of painkillers. <laughs> like, read the room. Mm -hmm. Um. The thing I didn't like about the article was the notion of, quote, the floodgates opening to violence in the playoffs because the guy who wrote the column saw one fight at the start of the playoffs. You and I have watched more hockey in the last two and a half months than probably we ever have. Did you Hundreds think that these games. did you think that these this playoffs was exceptionally violent? Because I, I, no. I, I didn't either. Like, I, I just I I know that there was a lot of major penalties. There was only three suspensions, and keep this is with 24 teams in an extra round of the playoffs. And I think there was an inertness. I'm assuming it's inertness. I don't have my dictionary in front of me. But um, to a lot of the play, where it didn't feel as nasty and bloody as it has in previous playoffs. So I, don't, I didn't agree with the premise. But no, like you said, this is what you came for. Damian Cox, last night, after the Tampa Bay Lightning win the Stanley Cup. Not as difficult to win a cup when there's no road games, no travel. Still a difficult thing to win it all. Tampa gave lots of sweat and blood to make this happen. But let's not compare bubble hockey with the real thing. 
Barclay Goodrow on Tuesday morning, a man waking up covered in champagne and cigar ash and wondering where his pants are, takes the time to respond to Damian Cox by saying, you try going through what we went through, not seeing our families for months, living in a hotel for 60-plus days, 20 yeah, had a chance, no home advantage for either team, but hey, say what you want. Mic drop. Again, we can talk about this being different. There's no problem with that. I disagree with our friend Pierre Lebrun, who says, no asterisks here. Of course there's an asterisk here. It's completely different than what's ever, ever happened in the Stanley Cup final. But different doesn't mean easier. And different can definitely mean harder. And I think Barkley Goodrill makes a good case that it should mean harder. And that Damian Cox doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. As per usual. All right, now it's time for Puck Headlines. Uh, Dateline Buffalo. Uh... Bob McKenzie throwing a grenade from his hammock, calling up or and calling around to find out what is going on with Jack Eichel trade rumors, um, and getting a sense that uh, no, Jack Eichel does not want to leave Buffalo quite yet, uh, but teams are calling. This was confirmed by uh, Sabres GM Kevin Adams on the Instigators on Tuesday saying, here's the thing, people call and make phone calls and ask about players every day. It's my job to listen. We have no intention, and we're not looking to do anything with Jack. What you, would you make of this whole Jack Eichel trade brouhaha? Which, by the way, was a fun couple of hours where everybody started putting out their trade proposals for Jack Eichel. But at the end of the day, it seems like he's not ready to leave quite yet. There was one of the seasons of Homeland, which is a show that I stayed with through the end, and mm. the premise of it was when they go and talk to all these CIA officials in D.C., they say the most vulnerable time uh, in America is the transition between one president to a next president. And I think the most vulnerable time for a franchise is the transition <laughs> between one GM and the second GM. Um, look, if a new GM is coming in, you don't know what he thinks of his team. You don't know what he values. Of course, you have to do your due diligence and poke around. And Jack Eichel's a guy where you're like, well, F, this team hasn't won in a bunch. Maybe they want to switch things up. Maybe we can go get them. Um, and I, I think Kevin Adams is testing how much patience he has with the roster that he inherited um, and also what he values of Eichel. And I think um, when all is said and done, they're going to value Eichel as the number one setter that's just hard to acquire elsewhere. And you've got him under your roof. You've got to keep him. Um, mm-hmm. That said, other teams got to call. So I, I love that McKenzie came and broke it down. We never see this of being like, hey, here's a hot trade rumor. Here's the breakdown of what's going on behind the scenes of why it's a rumor. Like, yeah. that was what was cool to me. It was fun. Uh, by the way, I checked out after season five when she was a contractor in Berlin. Um, I know there was like three more seasons after I'm, that. I'm impressed you made it that far. The European <laughs> season was rough. <laughs> uh, Dateline Boston. Tory Krug's rights about oh. to move. Insider Rear Admiral from uh, Chicklets uh, puts it out it. in the world that uh, Tory Krug's rights could be moved by the time you hear this very podcast. And um, and it, it, you know, it's it, I, obviously it's going to have to happen um, if they're not going to sign him to move him to get something for him. It's just still kind of stunning that that uh, Tory Krug. Uh, didn't end up taking the hometown discount. I thought there was maybe like a, a, a 15% chance that he was going to acquiesce and maybe stay with the Bruins. 
I still think there could be. Um, but yeah, it, it, it does appear. No. Um, the thing with Tori is that, yes, well, I believe that too. Um, this is a, a kid who has telegraphed his intentions the entire time. He has taken discounts before. He's taken shorter teams deals before. He has bet on himself. He's an undrafted guy. Now is his one time to make the life-changing money, and he wants to get it because he deserves it. And you know what? Good on you, Tori. <laughs> uh, Dateline, Ottawa. Aww. Bobby Ryan bought out by the Ottawa Senators. And, uh, you know, it's funny. You were talking before about Corey Perry uh, and him being sort of like the hired gun from the Dallas Stars, flush with buyout money from the Anaheim Ducks. They get him in for a low cost, and he makes a huge difference in the postseason. I think Bobby Ryan is the, the buyout baby for this period uh, coming up. Like, if he's gotten his life in order, uh, he can still be a very effective player. And uh, a motivated player, especially when you consider, you know, how well he played the last time Ottawa went on a playoff run versus how he played in the regular season. I feel like maybe playing in Ottawa sucked the life out of him a little bit. So putting him in a new environment with a new life, um, I, I think there's somebody that's going to be in the market for Bobby Ryan and get a lot out of him next year for a very, very low investment. Okay, you talked about the last playoff run by the Ottawa Senators. It was 2017 <laughs> when they went to the Eastern Conference Finals. Do you know how many players are still on that team? That'd be a big goose egg, wouldn't it? Zero. Zero. How are you? Like, it's one day we need to look at this from a bird's eye view and say, how the hell did we allow this to happen? A franchise totally deteriorate and become a laughing stock in front of our very eyes. Um, all the best wishes to Bobby Ryan. I, I think you're right. I think he's got a lot of hockey left to give. Um, incredible to see what he did this year, being so candid about going um, to rehab and, and coming out of it. Um, and it sucks that he's getting bought out, but I almost think it's the best thing that could happen to his hockey career because he'll go to a functional team. Uh, so picture this. It's a senator, like a, like, a, like a centurion, and there's a sword in his back, and it has Chris Kunitz's name on it because that's just <laughs> a serious clinching goal against the senators that postseason and apparently killed the franchise. Let's good Photoshop that now. Uh, Dateline free agent frenzy. All right, give me one name that's going to be a UFA that you are super intrigued by right now. I want to know where Braden Holpe goes. Oh, very good choice. Very good choice. Thank indeed. you. I, 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 you know, there was this, like this little two week period of my life, and I probably said on this podcast where I'm like. Oh, he'll go back to Washington. Like, they don't trust Sam Sonov because he got an ATV accident. Like, they'll make it work. And now I'm like, nah, he, he's a new starting goaltender for the Buffalo Senators. <laughs> uh, or the Ottawa go, Senators, who's to say? I'm going to go with the chalk. Like, I don't have a read on what's going to happen with Taylor Hall. Um, I can't mm -hmm. imagine he's going to stay with Arizona, even though they're doing the full, port, uh, full court press to, to keep him. Um, he's put out so much noise in the last year about trying to get find a long-term deal. If that's the case, I have to imagine a return to Alberta is, is in the cards. But if he's chasing a cup, I mean, Boston and Colorado are right there for you. So I'm, I'm super intrigued to see where Taylor Hall ends up, either in the short term or the long term. Uh, I also, like Colorado to make one big move this offseason, oh, whether it's Krug or Hall or whatever. We've talked about this, man. I, I, I just want to see them become the Miami Heat for one year. Just like everybody goes yes. there. They try to make it work. They've got the cap room this year. Let's go. 
By the way, one interesting thing I heard from a, a, an agent this week with regard to free agents, keep a, keep an eye on qualifying offers and how many there mm. aren't. Uh, in mm. the sense that there could be a lot more free agents than we expect given the internal economics of teams. Something to keep in, keep in mind. Finally, uh, a big, I have this written here on the rundown, a big sloppy thanks to our listeners and readers. Oh. Um. Hey, thanks. <laughs> no, no, seriously. Uh, it has been a uh, a wild few months. Um, not only the bubble life and the bubble games, but predating that all the way back to when this thing shut down on March 12th. Um, you know, we weren't really sure where it was all going. And you guys stuck with us, not only listening to the podcast, but also consuming our content on ESPN.com um, and uh, following along as we followed along to learn when the season was going to start and what the players were thinking and, you know, writing stories about can they still spit and stuff like that. I mean, it's been a really surreal last few months for all of us in life, um, but certainly in trying to cover a sport day to day. So we really appreciate your patronage and your attention and the time that you've spent not only listening to this podcast, but consuming our content um, at a time where, there's a billion other things to do because no one can go outside. I could not agree more. And I just want to say, I personally felt like it was cathartic just to watch hockey and feel a little bit normal. And I'm appreciative that you guys went along in that journey with us. Hey, and kudos to you for putting yourself through the quarantine in Edmonton and getting into the bubble and getting to see firsthand and share firsthand like what that was. I mean, there was a very what, select few. What, like how many journalists do you think were in the press box? Like less than 20? Oh, yeah. 10 to 15 and three Americans, including me. So I'm appreciative for the opportunity. And I'll tell you guys, I've got plenty of content to come to tell you guys exactly what went down. Oh, bubble confidential part. Do. All right. Thanks, everybody, for uh, checking us out listening to the pod thanks to producer ryan for moving some stuff around to make sure we can get this thing out on the day after the cup is awarded to the tampa bay lightning 2020 stanley cup champions now comes the fun part folks the draft free agency and the giant mystery of when the hell we're playing again enjoy it along with us folks uh you can read our stuff on espn.com listen to my other podcast puck soup where i say naughty words what's up with you these days em Follow me on Twitter at Emily M. Kaplan. And yeah, get ready for another journey with us. Bye. 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 This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.